Welcome to the Roberts Institute of Art, a place to explore, reimagine, and exchange ideas about culture through conversations. In these podcasts, we invite artists, cultural practitioners, and other thinkers to discuss themes connected to our program and how these reflect on contemporary culture. As the Roberts Institute of Art enters a new phase of working with partners and artists to develop exhibitions and performances, this podcast series explores collaboration and togetherness in all its forms by speaking to artists and practitioners in the cultural field. My name is Lucy Cowling, I'm Programme Coordinator at the Roberts Institute of Art. Today I'm joined by Arika Oke and Palumi Odumbanjo for a conversation about knowledge transmission and community within Black British culture in relation to archives. Arika Oke is Managing Director for the Black Cultural Archives in Brixton, described as the home of Black British history. Arika has worked in cultural heritage for over 15 years, from the seminal Connecting Histories project in Birmingham to building Welcome Collections Archive and co-convening Hull's first Black History Month. She's also a writer of short stories, which you can find on arikawrites.com. Artists really go deep into asking questions like why and how and perhaps and maybe. Palumi Odumbanjo works as an independent curator, writer and researcher interested in diasporic black vernacular culture and image making, informed by decolonialism and black feminism. Palumi works with artists, archives and cultural artefacts to explore historical and contemporary links between the intersectionality of women, migration and identity. She was curator in residence at the Black Cultural Archives in 2020. Black cultures have stood so strong today, despite everything going against that. So welcome, Plumi, Arika. Thanks so much for joining us. I want to start with definitions and scene settings of sorts, uh, with some introductions. And I'm thinking especially as when we speak of Black British, it's often thought of or maybe perceived as quite a unified identity, but it, it covers such a wide diaspora and different types of cultural practices. So I'd be interested to hear you describe the culture and the community that you position your work within um, specifically. Um, Arike, would you kick us off? So uh, I'm Marie Rocco, I'm the Managing Director of Black Cultural Archives. Um, the culture and community in which BCA, Black Cultural Archives, is positioned is very much people of the African diaspora in the UK. And African diaspora includes people from continental Africa, but also people of African descent all around the world, especially from African Caribbean cultures and heritage. Um, we're based in Brixton, which has been known as the, the home and the heart of Black Britain for many, many reasons, which we might go into during the conversation. Um, the actual physical building that BCA has is a grade two listed Georgian townhouse, and it feels very iconic and significant that BCA, given our history and our significance and our meaning, was able to reclaim that space at the Georgian townhouse in Georgian London. There were probably about 10,000 or so black Londoners. And so it means something. Everything is itself and everything is a sign, as, as Elaine Gurian um, says. She's a museum theorist. Um, so while the building is itself, it is a Georgian townhouse. It's also a sign 
of the Georgian period. And so for the Black British centre of heritage, BCA, to be in that space is, is highly significant in and of itself. Thanks. And Palumi? Hi, yes, I'm Palumi and I am an independent curator, writer and researcher and also an artist. Um, I don't really know how to answer that question as an individual, I'll be honest. Um, But I guess I could say that I position myself as a member of many different communities, as somebody that's still very much takes in information, uses my lived experience as a woman, as a Black woman, and really implements that into all that I do, whether it be my writing, how I view art, how I read art, how I write about art. And yeah, and I guess I am still very much learning and listening to, yeah. How important is that notion of community for you? I mean, community is everything. I think it's so integral in, well, quite generally to Black people across the diaspora. And you know, community is, well, community is where we learn and where we exchange and where so much knowledge is actually passed on. And, you know, as we know, that is so important when it comes to Black life, particularly in Britain, as, you know, we don't have knowledge passed on in certain institutions, usually academic institutions. So, I mean, as Arike has spoken about the Black Cultural Archives and what that means and what that represents and brings together, it is community, it is culture, it is quite literally a hub of both of those things. So, I mean, yeah, it's so important (laughs) Um, and so central to all that I do. I think quite central in the work that both of you do is this sense of working across generations. So this idea of passing on in a sense, and what can we learn from how different generations imprint on each other and how ideas are carried over, do you think, Arika? that's such a beautiful question actually while we're recording this the exhibition that's currently in the gallery at BCA is by an artist called Ruth Sutoye um, and it's very much about how knowledge and culture is transmitted matrilineally so from mothers to daughters and she's really made this quite gorgeous installation in the gallery that includes photography but also a reference to um, the African belief in ancestors and ancestral knowledge. So you, you'll have to, hopefully, um, you'll be able to see it before it finishes. But I think that, in a way, encapsulates something very beautiful about African traditions and African diasporic and African heritage traditions and beliefs around how community and culture is transmitted. And more practically within history, the way that culture, like the African culture and African beliefs and African traditions and African knowledge was transmitted during the period of enslavement of African people was through, very much through that kind of matrilineal. So women were the holders of culture. Women were transmitting culture. Women were transmitting the knowledge of herbs, for example, in the Caribbean. And then you see much later on Mary Seacole being the nurse, the Jamaican Scottish nurse um, who looked after the troops in the Boer War, was fated as a hero. And some of the troops apparently would rather go to her 
then then they would go to her uh, peer at the time, uh, Florence Nightingale, because Florence Nightingale was very much using Western medicine, whereas Mary Seacole was using these traditional herbalist uh, methods combined with Western medicine. Um, So I just say as a kind of anecdote to try and, you know, use, use examples to try and think about how really practically and, and in reality and evidentially culture is transmitted and what sort of effect that can have on people's day-to-days, day-to-day lives. And it is a generational transmission. So I just thought it was wonderful what you were referring to, Palumi, in your practice, because I think that you're very much part of that tradition of bringing something new and a fresh vision and your own sensibilities, but also making sure that those stories are always still, not just stories, those stories, but that knowledge is still being transmitted. And it's a very respectful practice, I think, that you have in that sense. Oh, thank you. I mean, (laughs) you, yeah, you put it all into words just then, but I don't know, I find culture such an interesting, well, one, a very interesting word, and also such an interesting concept if you just think historically where, you know, where it's come from, how it's been developed and, you know, as many words and kind of theories are, how it was often utilised by, you know, <laughs> Western European structures. And it's, as you said, culture is, it's not this thing that just exists without kind of human interaction. I mean, culture is the everyday human interaction of people and it's the different communities which are formed, it's the different practices, it's the different rituals, it's the different languages. And, you know, I find it, I mean, I I don't know if this has really answered the question, but I just find it so interesting how Black cultures have stood so strong today, despite everything going against that and in the context of Britain and with it being well with culture being something that's so often passed on and something that's lived on so strongly that is down to again people retaining history retaining stories retaining all that needs to be known to younger generations to pass on and there are things which I've learned and I'm constantly still learning and Again, I've said this, but places like the Black Cultural Archives are so crucial. And I think something that I aim to do within my work is create these, I guess, places where people can come, people can discover new stories, discover new ways of living, new ways of making art, new ways of relating to one another. And, you know, a practice is ongoing and I am honestly learning every single day the more artists I speak to the more curators I speak to the more cultural works I speak to so I mean I wouldn't be here without particularly the women and the black women who have passed on their knowledges to me and given me the room and the space to be expansive with that and to see what new well what new thing I can create with that so it's just yeah it's so crucial because Palumi, I know you have been researching and speaking with a lot of black women and non-binary people about how they use art and creativity as a healing space or a caring space for themselves and for those around them. Is there a particularly striking story that you unraveled that really has stuck with you? Oh my God. Um, 
Honestly, every story is something so special and so strong and they all stay with me for so, so long. Um, God, is there one story? Well, I remember speaking to, and somebody that I still admire so greatly is an artist called Marcia Michael, who was featured in the work that I did do last year with the Black Cultural Archives. And as Enrique, you've hinted to already, she speaks to the importance of matrilineage and, you know, what is actually passed on through not just motherhood or necessarily womanhood, but just, you know, family. And again, being as expansive as possible with that word, because I feel like in Black communities, family is not just necessarily blood. It's about those around you, those who care for you, those who yeah, just really make an impact on your life. And Marcia just speaks so beautifully in her work and in her writing and in all that she does about the importance of that. And she speaks about that through, in her work, I should probably explain, Marcia is a photographer and in many of her photographs, they feature members of her family um, and they are portraits. Some of them are self-portraits. But it's very much, in my opinion, about the touch and about the flesh and those kind of bodily interactions and connections between family. Um, And it just, it really, I mean, I would advise people to listen to Marcia in all that she says and looks at her work because the way she speaks about the history of, for example, flesh and what that represents in Black life and Black communities, what it means to touch, what it means to feel, I just think is so special. And that is just one artist (laughs) who, yeah, really touched me upon meeting them and still speaking with them. I can honestly speak about every artist that I've met, but yeah, connecting to what Enrique has said, Marcia just, yeah, immediately pops to mind. Yeah, it's a tricky question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It makes me wonder, Arika, because I know the BCA has essentially grown, in your own words, into the leading institutional voice on the Windrush generation and the home of Black British culture. But it started as this community-founded organisation, maybe at the time, I don't know if, and then grew from there. So could you tell us a bit more about some of the seminal figures that helped shape that? People like Len Garrison or Dame Jane Jocelyn Barrow? Sure. I, I, I mean, and this will would take like 20, 30 minutes. So I'm going to try and be really brief because I really want to make sure Palumi has lots of time to speak. Um, so BCA was f- formed conceptually in the very early 1980s. So we this year are recognising 40 years of BCA because we are dating the conception to the same year as the New Cross Fire and the first Black People's Day of Action and all of the activism that happened in that year, which very much... um, has resonance with the summer of activism in 2020 when uh, BLM, Black Lives Matter, broke into the mainstream UK culture and UK awareness. Um, So about 40 years ago, let's say, (laughs) a collective of artists and parents and educators and activists. So these are not separate people. These are people who have that um, multiplicity within themselves came together to try and create what is our actual legal name, the African People's 
Historical Monument Foundation. Um, it's a very long name. We go by Black Cultural Archives, but African People's Historical Monument Foundation is our real name. And it's very, very important, especially to Len Garrison, one of our main founders, who is a poet, um, that a monument was in there. He wrote a poem called Where Are Our Monuments, um, which again has so much resonance with what's happening in the um weirdly titled Culture Wars today and the debates around statues and how diversity or reality or society and our values and our cultural values are reflected in the public realm. Um, and so Len and his colleagues were really interested in trying to create something that would be a monument. And they collected material, but it's collecting material not only to be this monument, but also to be a form of education. So going back to this idea of transmission, they were trying to make that transmission not only to be within like the closed units of family, whatever family might mean, and those kind of networks, but for education to be accessible to everyone who is able to, you know, make it to BCA. And so that original kind of vision has kind of grown and developed. And so we're really now a very kind of different sort of organization. We have a building, we have the ability to have artists in residence, we have a research collection, we have archive materials. Um, but yeah, so one of one of the most important people that that really was the catalyst for BCA's journey was Len Garrison. But some of the other founders as well included Richie Riley, who um, was identified as gay. Um, even at the time, he was one of the founders of the Ballet Neg, so the original black ballet company. Um, he and that was, you know, in the, in the, in the 1930s, but he was one of the founders of BCA. And I know that it's one of the things that BCA has not necessarily been great at actually is recognizing the complexity and the richness and the multiplicity and intersectionality of blackness. So this is something that I was so pleased when, because, you know, Palumi, we, we, we didn't give you so, like a brief of like, you must in your residency address these things. We, I think, I feel that the brief was relatively open and you yourself chose to reflect that within the, w within how you approached the video series that you created for us. And I'm speaking specifically around recognizing that womanhood itself and femininity and black women does not mean people who are cis or not mean people who are um, continuing in the gender identity that they were given when they were born so I wanted to really recognize that that you're very much kind of progressing in the steps of the people who set up BCA by trying to reflect that multiplicity and also really helping us to continue that journey which we are not necessarily otherwise um, always equipped to do ourselves you know because BCA still operates very much along um it's the people, it's whoever's there, right? Whoever, whoever's there is, are the people who carry out the mission. And so it's very important to us to always include other people to help us do that. Like you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ariki. I mean, I have, I don't know what to say to that because <laughs> there oh, sorry. so many, no, no. I mean, just hearing you speak about the people that were there from the beginning and the people that still stand today, you know, 
with which you are also a part of a legacy now as well. I just find it really, really special. And I, sorry to bring it back to you, but I was interested actually in terms of bringing, I mean, I met you through a curatorial residency at the Black Culture Archives and I was just curious as to why you thought that it was the time to really bring art in that way into the archives and into the institution because not so many archives would do that, I think, and not all institutions would welcome you know, such a different outlook onto art practice. And yeah, I, I'm wondering where that came from. <laughs> <if I'm honest. laughs> um, I almost, um, I, I, yeah, I, I almost feel kind of confused by the question because it doesn't feel like it's, I don't think that should be weird to mm. do. Right, I don't think it should be unusual. It shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I almost and and it's something you know, um, as we were talking about before we started recording, Rhoda Boateng, who was the archive supervisor at the time of the curatorial residencies, she has an artistic practice herself, um, and so it's something that Rhoda and I were completely in alignment with that we want, and 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 also our trustee, um, Harold Morrison, who is an artist. Um, and a producer of art, uh, as in, you know, he, he produces other artists' work as well as his own. Um, so I feel like we were very, very much in alignment with understanding or at least um, wanting to have the provocation that the artists can bring to collections. So we do, BCA also works with, you know, much more traditional audiences for archives. We work with academic researchers. We teach um, a module at King's College undergraduate history. And that's like super, super traditional and really, really important. And we love that as well. But there's something very different about how artists think that can actually bring you on in kind of leaps that when you're when you don't have that way of looking at the world, which is I don't know how you describe it. It's not exactly lateral thinking, but it's very different. It's almost like forensic. <laughs> you know, artists really go go deep into think, asking questions like why and how and perhaps and maybe um, that I'm not sure that we would have if we were only working with academic researchers. Um, and also, you know, of course, my background, my uh, background is very much in like dad and so I used to be the archivist at Rombe. So I've worked with creators of different sorts of art quite a lot. And so for me, I just always want to have that energy in wherever it is that I am working. <laughs> I am so happy that, yeah, <laughs> that happened then <laughs> and that I was brought into it because yeah, it was wonderful. And I mean, I think the work for Jews, I, I, I know that Languid Hands, who did the other residency, also felt that way. It was such a wonderful opportunity to be given space to interrogate and think about the role of archives today. Although it was last year, it very much still stands today in 2021. What does it mean to archive? You know, the language of archive and how one archives, you know, the accessibility of archives. I Yeah, it was just a wonderful experience. So thank you. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I actually wanted to ask you about that because I I always like to to try and understand what people think of when they think of archives and 
you work with archives, you know, you worked with archives before you did this this work with us, um, 198, for example. So what, what kind of draws you to thinking about archives as a, yeah. Oh, God, that is such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really want to know the answer. So. Yeah. Oh, my God, I don't think I could give you the best answer now, but it's something I've actually never asked myself, weirdly enough. Um, but what is it about archives? I think, again, I am just so, so interested in, I don't know, institutions and, you know, whether they be physical buildings, whether they live online. I'm just so interested in what they represent historically and what they represented, you know, during Enlightenment and what they represent now. And also just looking at how much that has changed which is often not so much. (laughs) So I don't know, archives, I mean, there is so much quote-unquote knowledge that rests within archives. And again, archives are not necessarily made accessible, although people have to say that archives are public, there's public knowledge there. They're very much not public, in my opinion. I think they're very much closed off to who can interpret them, how they can be reinterpreted, and what sits there. And I recently worked with the Magnum Archives, for example, which is, yeah, which is a predominantly, well, which is a photographic archive. And again, it's one, thinking about who is allowed access into archives in which, maybe I shouldn't call out Magnum right now, but in which there are no Black British photographers within the Magnum Archive. There's not, are you kidding? No, none. None whatsoever. Oh my gosh. No black British. Oh dear. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which blew my mind completely. There is one black woman photographer in the Magnum Archive and she is a nominee. She is not even a permanent member. Uh, I mean, and also quite frankly, a majority of black people that sit within the Magnum Archive have passed. So again, it's not, Well, there's so much that can be unpacked there about, you know, how legacies occur and, you know, actually being present and alive and allowing, being allowed to speak about your work and for your work as you are present. It's not a rarity that that's the case. That exists in so many archives, so, so many, whether it's the British Library, you know, Manchester's Art Archive, it's just so common. And, you know, I... I think archives will have a legacy which live on for quite some time as they have in the past. And it's so important to interrogate these and unravel these. And I mean, I'm talking a lot now, but it's just, it's, (laughs) (laughs) um, they're, they're just, what they mean for knowledge is so, it, it expands beyond what even I could comprehend. And it's just something that needs to change dramatically. And I'm only a tiny, tiny factor in, you know, trying to generate change, but it's better to try, I guess, than not do anything. And yeah, it's, and also just to quickly go back to what you said about, you know, the original titling of the Black Cultural Archives, that word monument, I find so, so interesting (laughs) that that is the alternative terming of the Black Cultural Archives. And yeah, looking at an archive as a monument, we just, we need to do that more. I can speak for ages about that, but yeah, that's what I care about archives, I guess. Fabulous. I wanted to um, kind of 
not 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 to kind of talk about Magnum too much, but I do think that um, it might be interesting to think about where some of the black photographers' archives are. So there's Autograph, for example, which began as the Association of Black Photographers, and whether sometimes this kind of do for self is because the avenues are not. You so right, okay. So Magnum not taking in black photographers meant that black photographers make their own association, and then that kind of causes a path of divergence. But I don't want to kind of like think too hard on 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 that path of divergence because, of course, you know there is still this diversity within blackness. We can have Kemi Badenoch identifying as black; she's the Equalities Minister, um, and then we can also have you know, David Lammy. <laughs> so, you know, like they're, they're at total different ends. <laughs> so where one photographer might be like, do you know what, whatever Magnum, I'm going to have my photographs at the Association of Black Photographers, which becomes Autograph or Innova or wherever. Um, other photographers would be like, no, no, I don't want that at all. I want them to have them in Magnum. So it doesn't let Magnum off the hook is what I'm saying, that there were other places or there are other places. But I do think it's kind of, interesting layer to that narrative about where are like what why black people aren't in certain spaces and why there are spaces like bca that celebrate and center blackness like it's it's there, there's something kind of interesting to unpick there and i don't there's, think i've unpicked it but i just think it's interesting yeah yeah i mean it's something at the moment i well my practice primarily does look at black photography and you know that is black photography is in images of Black people <laughs> and also images taken by Black people um, and Black. I mean, I won't go into the definition of Black now, um, but it is, again, quite expansive in what Blackness is and what Blackness means to different individuals and what it represents. Um, but, I mean, as you've said, I mean, as the Black Cultural Archives is and as Autograph is and as, you know, other although there were quite few, unfortunately, in this country and other Black organisations, there's always been this, this element of DIY, of do-it-yourself. If they're not going to have us, well, then we need to build our own space. And, you know, as you said, Blackness is not, it's not monotonous. There are so many different <laughs> entities of Blackness. And I imagine, and having spoken particularly to artists, you know, of the great generation of Black British artists, many of them also weren't given access to certain spaces, I guess in certain quote-unquote Black institutions, also wider kind of white European Western institutions, sorry. And also people have different ideas of what it means to be Black. People have different ideas behind the politics of their work. And I do feel that in this country... We, we do have autograph, for example. But it's also a question of like, so what else is there to autograph? Is it just autograph? Do black photographers only have autograph as an option? You know, is, I, I could probably think of two black archives or black archival institutions in this country where BCA is one of them. And I want more. <laughs> I think black people and black communities are allowed to have more than one option. And <laughs> what? You know, no. yeah, I know crazy. <laughs> 
so <laughs> radical. Crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> Black people are allowed more than one. <laughs> but there is absolutely the space for that. And, you know, there are other, you know, unfortunate elements of funding, of, you know, permission, of all of these things. But these institutions are so, so, so important for what they have done historically for Black people in this country and what they continue to do for Black people in this country. And Magnum, bless them, they have an amazing archive. <laughs> they have many, many white photographers who went to Africa and photographed Black oh, people. Oh, okay. They made their career out of <laughs> One of that. those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for some reason, there are no awesome. Black photographers for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we need other, we need other options. If Magnum are going to continue to take that route and, you know, continue to... In, in my opinion, implement the white gaze and not actively try and dismantle it that vigorously, then, you know, we will do it. And I try and do it. Again, I'm just one person, so I want other people. Well, there definitely are other people doing that, such as yourself, Enrique, and others. But yeah, let's keep doing it. (laughs) Let's keep doing it. I love it. So you're an activist as well. Did you list that at the beginning? I'm not sure. I don't know if you did list it when when you introduced yourself like did you say activist I didn't and weirdly I never do I I don't know why I think I I don't know I I guess I let my work talk because I struggle to (laughs) to kind of get my feelings out there so much when I do talk and you know activism for me there are so many incredible activists, so many incredible kind of public speakers and people that can engage, you know, with the public so fantastically. And I guess I am an activist, but I guess it's a different kind of activist. And, you know, it's, I don't, you're an activist, Arike, and I just, I look at you as like another level of the work you're doing. So I guess I'm like a quiet activist, maybe. I mean, I'm a managing director of a charity. It's like... <laughs> It's very different. <laughs> I feel like with BCA, with BCA, we have active voice because now we have moved so far along in our journey that we've had to kind of take on some of the clothes and the robbery of institution uh, that an institution has. So it's really different to the sort of activism that you can do, uh, that you, I mean, specifically Pulumi, um, can do. So, yeah, I think there's this diversity in activism. There it is. all helps. Yeah. <laughs> There is diversity in activism. Blumi, one last question. You wrote a really great text or a provocative title text anyway about how to listen to images. And in this discussion of like a monument versus an archive or can an archive be a monument, which I find an interesting statement because when I personally think of monuments, it's quite solid, rigid, fixed, supposed to be eternal, but not being questioned that much. Whereas what excites me about an archive is that it's growing, speaking, it's being interpreted, especially like the work you've done with the BCA, it's bringing new voices in, it's transmission of knowledge, all of these things we've talked about. And within that, this idea of sound, of listening to images with sound being such a porous and fluid and kind of free-flowing entity how do you do that? How do you hear what you cannot see? So if you're saying, you know, there's so many archives that are lacking spaces of knowledge, what does the listening do? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, I think the concept of listening to images completely changed 
how I view art and specifically for me photography um I did not come up with it at all it was <laughs> it was created by an incredible American scholar named Tina Kant um in her book of the same name and I guess there are kind of two answers to that question one what does it mean to listen to an archive and also in my own practice what it means to listen to an image I think first and foremost I have such an incredible interest in sound and what that means within black culture and I say that I say black culture but really I mean within the history of blackness what music means what sound means what the bass means what the bass represents I just find that so so crucial and when it comes to images you know again I think it's so important when looking at images not necessarily of black people but of black life often it's about what occurs beyond what you see that tells you so much about the historical context and you know Tina Kant in her book she refers to what many would just look past and just say yeah they're just images and they're just very you know quite basic quote-unquote basic images of black life so she uses examples of kind of portrait uh, studio photography but I think most importantly, she uses the example of mugshots and passport pictures. You know, mugshots, again, <laughs> you know, Black people are represented a lot more in mugshots. I mean, weirdly enough, I think she makes a comparison that you see more representation of Black people in mugshots than you do in, you know, <laughs> in any other image, which is crazy. Um, and again, it's thinking about not just listening, she she uses listening, I guess, as the, the kind of game-changing, you know, different way of reading an image. But it's also about what do you feel from the image? What, what do you, again, hear from the image? What do you, if you put yourself in the place of, you know, the Black person, the Black body that sits within the image, what do they see? What do they hear? What do they feel? Who is taking the photograph? Who isn't taking the photograph? what is present and what is not. There is just so much to unravel about photographs and images. And, you know, not just because it's my area of study, but I just think it's some of the most important, I mean, it is the most important aspect of visual culture, I think, photography and image making. Um, and to really quickly go back to <laughs> the idea of listening to archives, I think it was Achille Membe who once described an archive as, and I may misquote this, but, is it a moratorium or a graveyard? Yeah. And I think he wrote that many, many years ago when there was a certain reading of an archive as something that's dead, as something that can't be disturbed, as something that is there and present, but also not present. It's it's really interesting. And, you know, <laughs> it's all, I, I want to bring that to life. And, you know, you don't bring things to life by just observing. You need to touch, you need to feel, you need to listen. <laughs> you need to really inhabit what that space is and what it represents. And I guess my work with archives and my work with photographs and photographers and artists is really bringing that together. It's about what, what do we see beyond an image, you know, and what does that represent? So a long-worded answer, but yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a what. beautiful answer. That's a great thank answer, though. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank you both so much for taking time to 
speak with me and with each other. I think it was generous, beautiful, important, lovely. So um, thanks so much. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. It really has been. I've learned a lot, so thank you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. That was Arika Oke and Plumi Odumbonjo. Our thanks go out to them for a great discussion. For more podcasts, head over to our website, the Robertson Institute of Art.com, where you can also find out more about our upcoming programs. <laughs> <laughs>